Hey, 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 welcome back into the Trojan Talk podcast. We are back for the second time in less than a week. We being me, Ryan Young, publisher of Trojansports.com, and you, our loyal listeners, who have made our last two shows the most listened to podcast we've ever done, which is awesome for the middle of the summer. So thank you very much for that. Let's keep the momentum going, and I think we will. In fact, I know we will. We're a week away from Pac-12 Football Media Day in Las Vegas. The full Trojansports.com team will be out there giving you blanket coverage. And from that point forward, it's all football all the time, full speed ahead, nonstop. You get the point. But in the meantime, I've tried to give a little variety of guests over this last month. We had USC baseball coach Andy Stankiewicz on last week. And this week, we're talking USC basketball. That's right, middle of July, we are talking basketball with good reason and with great perspective as we are joined by USC associate head coach Chris Capco, who has been a part of this build under Andy Enfield for the last decade, has emerged as one of the top recruiters in the country, as evidenced by USC becoming nationally competitive recruiting-wise and bringing in top talent from around the country now, like this incoming freshman class that starts with five-star point guard Isaiah Collier from Marietta, Georgia, the number one overall ranked basketball recruit in the country. Chose USC. Chose to go across the country to play for the Trojans, the top-ranked prospect nationally. And yet he's not even the most high-profile freshman. That's probably Bronny James, son of NBA legend LeBron James, the number 27-ranked prospect in the country. Add in four-star forward Aronson Page, also from Marietta, Georgia, Collier's teammate, another top 50 national prospect. And late addition four-star forward Brandon Gardner, who was committed to St. John's, backed off that pledge with the coaching change there. And USC swooped in and got, got the standout forward from New York to come all the way across the country. Add in DJ Rodman, the Washington State transfer, who you'll hear Chris Capco is super high on. And Boogie Ellis, surprising everybody, including the coaching staff, by coming back for his final season after ranking near the top of the Pac-12 in scoring last year. He's back. Kobe Johnson's back. Josh Morgan's back. Vince Iwuchukwu is back. The seven-footer, the former five-star prospect. And I only say former because he's no longer a prospect. He's, he's a sophomore. But we'll just call him five-star. The five-star, seven-footer, Vince Iwuchukwu, who never got a chance to really fully establish himself last year, obviously coming off the harrowing cardiac arrest situation last summer. Many thought he wouldn't ever play again. The fact that he even came back and played the last two months of the season was a major accomplishment on its own. He's now had a full off season, full training, full practices. He could have a breakout year. In short, what I'm trying to say here is that this might be the most anticipated USC basketball season, USC basketball team in a very long time. A very long time. And so it's worth talking about in the middle of the summer. Just before we flip the switch on football, those freshmen are on campus. They have been working out for the last couple of weeks. And Chris Capco is here to tell us all about it and about the process of recruiting Bronny James, of recruiting Isaiah Collier. It's a great conversation. I was going to have multiple guests thinking I would probably go, you know, 25 minutes to a half hour with Chris. We talked for just about an hour. And I said, you know what? No, this is, this is all this show needs. This is going to be a USC basketball podcast this week, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy the little diversion from all the football hype, which we will certainly start piling onto ourselves next week. I can't wait to get to Vegas for media day. I can't wait for the season for fall camp to begin and being out there, getting a look at this team, covering all the storylines, giving you wall-to-wall coverage. But I don't control the schedule, and we still have another week. And so let's talk some USC basketball. Let's do it right now, and let's bring in Chris Capco, USC's associate head coach, longtime assistant, ace recruiter. Chris, thank you for joining the podcast. How are you doing? Ryan, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. 
Man, it's it's mid July and there is palpable buzz for USC basketball. This, <laughs> this this feels different, at least on the outside. What's the internal excitement right now for this team? You all put together, and does it feel different to you guys? Well, first of all, I love that you used palpable buzz. Um, <laughs> as we know, college insider John Rothstein used that all the time, so I got a kick out of that. Um, there is, though, to be honest with you, you know, you can feel. You know, just, I mean, honestly, I'll be out with my daughter or family or something like that. I'll wear a USC shirt and people don't know who I am, but, you know, they'll talk about USC basketball and then, you know, my friends or friends in the business and stuff we talk to and, you know, just the different people you come across on a day-to-day basis who are talking about USC basketball and our season and stuff like that. You can, you can feel it. We've obviously had some good teams in the past, but I think the summer leading up to, you know, a lot of times it's been okay. Let's wait and see how it goes, or I think we can be good and things like that. And I think this year people think we can be good, we should be good, but then, then there's, an, you know, a couple added elements to it that I think people are really excited about. We talked a couple of years ago and did a big feature on Andy Enfield just about this whole process and journey you guys have been on this last decade. But for the fans who maybe don't know that full story, just kind of put in perspective how special it is to be where you're at now, where you are attracting top talent from around the country and how different that is from when it started here. And it was a much tougher sell those first few years. Yeah, it's been fun, Ryan, to be honest with you and uh, a real source of pride. You know, I I think I've had people joke with me about, you know, sometimes Andy gets asked and he starts reading off all the data um, since he's been here, but (laughs) I get it. He's been a part of it, right? He does. He He does. does, Who does? Because, you know, we take a lot of pride in it from where this program was to, uh, when we first got here with, you know, I think we won 11 and 12 and the perception of the program to where it is now to honestly, right, everything we've been through, like we've absorbed the FBI investigation, you know, putting it together when we've returned three guys, four guys on the team and continually finding different ways to do it. And I think last year was like a culmination of that where, you know, I thought it really spoke to our program and where we're at, where Vince ends up having his heart issue it holds him out for you know a lengthy part of the year i don't think we ever really got the true events he was uh you know we had expectations for him to really be a uh, big support or a big uh you know producer within our program um on top of that we have a weekend where josh and reese get hurt drew's fighting back injuries you know toward the end of the season and we just had all these things and adversity hits but i think basically the culture we had built and the depth that we had built within our program, we still ended up, ended up winning 22 games. We still ended up making the NCAA tournament on a year. I think we would all say, you know, wasn't one of our better years. So I think that speaks to where we've gotten the program too. And so we take a lot of pride in that. And now, you know, I talked about this year kind of being a culmination of that. Well, now this upcoming season should help build on that. And, you know, because of everything we've done, you're able to lure in Isaiah Collier, um, you're able to retain guys. I think guys are, you know, Boogie wants to come back because I think the experience he's had. Um, and now we're in position where we feel like we're one of the better teams in the Pac-12 this year. and feel like we can really make a run because we have a good mix of experienced players, um, high-level young guys, and just an overall group of, of, of a team where the pieces really fit. I want to talk about Vince. I want to talk about Isaiah Collier, obviously Bronny James. But let's start with getting Boogie Ellis back. I think most of us expected that he was going to move on. I think that even in interviews, he had kind of told us, yeah, this is my last year here. What changed there? And, and do you recall the moment when he told you all, you know what, I might stay, I might come back and do this again? Yeah, I mean, honestly, Brian, we went through the whole year thinking Boogie was gone. Um, you know, and he had told us pretty much as much. He was in his fourth year, and we knew what his expectations were. And he had a great year, you know what I mean? Like, he averaged 18 points a game, and, you know, so a lot of that made sense. And then um, we do our exit interviews at the end of the season. Boogie comes in and says, you know, guys, I want to kind of keep my options open. I'm open to coming back and possibly going to the NBA or, you know, whatever the case may be. I want to graduate. I've had a good time here. I've enjoyed my experience. And, you know, we left it up to him. Obviously, NIL changes some things yeah. um, for, I think, a lot of college kids, not just him, but guys who, you know, probably in the past would have left. And now have the option to come back and do okay and, and still have a really good college experience, but there's not the same pressure to go out there and make money, right? So I think Boogie is a prime example of that. And then you compound that with he's just had a good experience here. I think he knew next year we can be really good as well. He can be a big part of that. And so I think it just makes sense for, for him in a lot of ways. To say that moment when he said he was coming, I found out, I think he had told Andy, I found out via tweet. We actually had a guy uh, 
on a visit um, for a guy we were recruiting to take Boogie Spock uh, in the event that he left, and then Boogie put it out that he was coming back, which was music to all our ears because obviously we know him, that's who we wanted, but we had to, you know, recruit in the event that he did decide to move on. So um, I don't remember the specific date or anything like that. It was probably a couple of weeks after our season, but. You know, Boogie was pretty open and honest about things. We wanted him to take a step back. We wanted him to be here, so we kind of put it in, you know, in his uh, on his court and uh, let him make a decision. Because you know, ultimately, if you're going to be here for your fifth season, you need to want to be here. And ultimately, he did, and, and we're glad he's back. You were set to have a very young roster. Otherwise, how much does he change the complexion of things? Him coming back off the year he had where he just seemed to keep getting better and better. Yeah, Boogie definitely changes the complexion of things. Boogie's what every, honestly, what he does is what every, I want to say college team, but every basketball team needs. You need a guy who can go get you a bucket. Honestly, and go get you a bucket when things get tough. And and that's what Boogie does. He does it at a high level. I mean, he carried us down the stretch last year. Just big-time shot-making, scoring. And I thought throughout the course of the year, he got so much better in terms of his decision-making. So now he could actually score the ball at a high level, but then when there was a lot of attention on him, he could find other guys as well and make guys better. So he brings that. I think that's going to help relieve pressure from Isaiah and Kobe and other guys. And and on the reverse of that, Isaiah's going to help take some pressure off him because he's going to be able to handle the ball. And Isaiah's just such a natural passer that I think it's going to also help Boogie now because a lot of things that Boogie did last year was just with the ball in his hand, right? Um, and relied on shot make. I think he's going to have someone now out here to be able to get him easier shots, which is going to, you know, in turn help him. But anytime you can have a fifth-year guy who's a proven bucket getter at this level, um, you know, you're in pretty good shape, and we have that with Boogie, and we're excited about what the year is to come for him, and I think he's going to have a huge year. Well, good stuff. Well, let's talk about the newcomers. That's what everyone's kind of buzzing about right now, and we'll start with Isaiah Collier, the number one overall prospect in the country out of Marietta, Georgia. First of all, take me through the, the timeline of this recruitment. How do you even get into the place where you go, we have a real chance to bring this guy across the country, the top prospect in the country. We can get him from the East Coast all the way to Los Angeles. When does that start to become real? Yeah, so um, we recruited uh, Isaiah. He came on campus for the first time at the end of his sophomore year and uh, came out here with his mom. You know, he has family out here, so I think that's how the whole thing started. His uncle actually graduated from USC and lived not too far uh, away from the campus. So there were some natural ties. His mom was from L.A., and so there were some things that brought him out here. His brother actually was living in L.A., not too far from campus, uh, for the duration of his recruitment as well. So there was things that brought him out here. And, you know, a lot of times here we get calls from people all over the country who hit you with this, hey, man, he loves the West Coast. He'd be open to coming. And I think a lot of times in theory it sounds good, but you know it's probably not going to happen. And so we can't spin our wheels on everyone. But uh, early on, you know, with Isaiah, there was people in Georgia who I think we trusted who told us, hey, man, this is the real thing. And, uh, you know, we got him on campus for the end of his sophomore year and just kind of kept going in there to see him, kept building the relationship, and then uh, brought him uh, for an official visit at the end of his junior year. And then I think that's probably when you can see, like, you know what, man, I think we really, really have a shot at this guy. I think him moving out here and everything he has going on with his family is real. And, uh, you know, at the time also, he was a highly rated, but he wasn't the number one player in the country. I think there was other guys who people had pegged over him as, you know, better point guards or however you want to put it. We knew he was the best point guard in the country when we started recruiting him. Um, So we never wavered off that. But, you know, I think there were some family ties that brought him out here that make sense for other kids who are outside of the area. And I think we all, as a staff, did a good job building a relationship with him. I think he felt comfortable with that. His family felt comfortable with that. And then, um, you know, that's how you're able to get him. And, and uh, he's been, as advertised, he's, these first couple of weeks on the floor, has all the intangibles, and, and we're lucky to have him. What makes him so elite? What makes him so special where everyone's basically look, looking at him as, as an instant star for this team? Yeah, great size. I don't want to say elite size, but great size at 6'4", 200 pounds, very physical. So, you know, coming in as a freshman, physically, he's ready to compete. Um, to me, I don't, I'm not afraid to say this, the best pick and roll high school player we've ever had come in the mm. door and the best one I feel like I've ever remember seeing, to be honest with you. So that's my opinion. I don't want to put that on anybody else, but very good in pick and roll, can make all the passes out of pick and roll, elite burst. Uh, when he gets downhill, really tough to start, but very good feel for passing, gets off it, 
um, in the two weeks we've had him, the three weeks he's been on the floor, you can see he makes everybody better. He just gets off the ball and gets everybody shots. But he can also score when need be, too. Um, he gets in that pain, efficient at the rim, very good at finishing. And has all the intangibles, like I just said, man. Leader, uh, good guy, great habits, goes about his business, no extra stuff with him. Uh, so, you know, elite combination of personal, personal intangibles, um, talent, leadership, all that stuff, man. So, like I said, we're lucky to have him, man. He's going to have a huge year for us. I feel like it's been a while since you guys had a true, just natural point guard. Obviously, Boogie grew into the role and, and was great for you last year. You had Drew handling the ball a lot. You've had to just kind of make it work over the years. What does having a guy who is just a natural point guard meant for that position? How does that change what you can do offensively? Yeah, I think you're right. We've had good point guards now. Like, Taj Eadie was a really good point guard for us. Um, I think he gets lost in the shuffle sure. sometimes because of the COVID year. But he wasn't a true point guard, right? And the same thing with Boogie. Boogie had a great year as our point guard. He just wasn't uh, a true point guard in that sense. But what he did is hard to replicate, too, so I don't want to take anything away from Of course. Boogie, but yeah, Isaiah gives you Jordan McLaughlin vibes. Just the way that Jordan can control the pace of the game, his decision-making, Jordan could play fast, play slow, and still make decisions. You know, a lot of people want to play fast, but it's still a lot of people, when you start playing fast and play at a certain pace, it's hard to maintain that decision-making. And Isaiah can do that. Isaiah can play fast, still maintain making high-level decisions while playing fast, um, but also slow the game if need be. But, you know, the one thing I'll say that he brings to uh, our tape or our, our program more so than even like when Jordan. Jordan was unbelievable decision-making, unbelievable pick-and-roll player. And just a consummate point guard. Isaiah's speed with the ball, though, um, and the way he can push the pace is next level. And I don't think we've ever had anyone. I mean, almost reminds you of Julian Jacobs. Julian played really fast early on in our tenure. And Isaiah, I think, plays even faster than that. So I think he's going to allow us to play with a really, really good pace. He's going to force other guys to play faster. Um, and that's what he really brings to the table is the way he can really push the pace. Wow. That's one main reason for this palpable buzz we, we talked about. And then you have, of course, Bronny James. You have the NBA's all-time leading scorer tweeting about USC basketball in July. That can't hurt. Who's uh, that, Ryan? <laughs> uh, who's his dad? Is it Le- LeBron? <laughs> LeBron? Oh, that guy. I was reading the Wikipedia profile earlier, but he seems pretty intriguing. Heard of him. <laughs> so his recruitment was interesting in that he didn't talk a whole lot at all about his recruitment this whole process. But there was always this USC kind of mention along with him the whole time. You never knew how real it was. Give me the timeline with Bronny James and how that came together. Um, you know, Bronny's recruitment, I think, was different in a lot of, lot of regard. We expressed interest, and they expressed interest, I want to say, early into his senior year. Everything was pretty quiet on their side, to be honest with you, which, you know, you understand because of – the level of uh, just people want to know what's going on with them, right? And, uh, you know, I just think throughout the year we kind of kept in touch with him. Coach Morris did a really good job with that and Coach Enfield. And and they just, you know, kept kind of telling us of their interest, you know, different than a lot of other people's where they're coming on campus and this and that. You know, it wasn't the same thing with him. And that was basically it, to be honest with you. There wasn't a lot of visits or a lot of that, I think, after our season. Uh, and it does kind of settle on our roster, to be honest with you, Ryan, like after Trey left, after uh, Reese had left. Yeah. You know, for us, it, it just made sense because what we didn't want to do is get him in a situation where it didn't make sense in terms of, you know, the way he fit in and the amount of playing time that would be, be out there. And, um, you know, I think after the dust settled on our roster, they wanted to make sure they, you know, there was a clear picture for how he fit in and, and how he would transition in our program. And I think the same thing for us, just so we could have honest conversations about how everything looked. And that was basically it. I don't, you know, sometimes soon after our season or maybe about a month after our season, like I said, after guys, you know, the dust kind of settled on the roster. And we had another visit with them. And, and that was basically it. And he had a couple more weeks after that to think about it and, and let everybody know. And, and that's just kind of, how it went, it was much different than I think a lot of other recruits or your typical recruitment, but that's okay too. And I think we all had honest conversations about how everything would look. And I think that was really the biggest thing. And, and that's how it came about. So I think people were surprised when, when, when Reese left and Trey left. Was it really, it was so, it was after that you guys then suddenly thought, you know what, this might make sense now for Brian James. 
Yeah, I mean, we had interest in him, right? And uh, but it just had to make sense, and uh, and, not, and not just for him, but for anybody, right? Like, if you're bringing in a kid who's a McDonald's All American, and you have Boogie back, Isaiah Collier, Reese, who had average double figures, Trey White, who had average almost double figures, Kobe, who is you know almost double figures, like. No, I'm using Bronny as an example because he's here, but let's say we were talking about another McDonald's All-American. Well, those guys come in with expect, expectations to play, right? And that just doesn't match. And so we had expressed interest. We were definitely interested in him. But like I said, like, if you have all those guys, I just don't know if it makes sense, right? Yeah. And, um, and not just for him, but for any player of that caliber. Like, if we had two real point guards, does it make sense to who are both, you know, proven uh, productive players at this level? Does it make sense to recruit Isaiah Collier? Probably not, right? So I think once those guys left, two guys who left now, we had expressed interest. But, hey, this makes a lot of sense for both sides, right? Like there's been, you know, a lot of minutes and a lot of production that have become open. And I'm assuming that's probably something that is appealing to you guys as, as well, right? And so I think that fit both sides. Um, so it just made a lot more sense. And, um, you know, and so, yeah, that, I mean, that's basically how it came about. And I, I, you know, I say that I don't want to single him out like that's, you know, for him, but I think any player of that caliber is McDonald's All American. They're coming in with certain expectations. They want to play, and it doesn't mean you have to start or play thirty minutes, but you just want to see a roadmap for how you can just transition in and help the team. So that last big meeting with with him and his family is that at their house. How long does that last? Just kind of th- take us through that because I think everyone's so curious about this recruitment in particular. What, what was that last meeting like? Yeah, I was at his house, and um, the whole family was there. Obviously, you know, your dad wants to be involved with that. His dad knows what's going on. And- uh, we went in there as a staff, and his family wasn't a big entourage. Probably people would probably think it was a huge entourage or something like that. Just his family, us, and I think we had an honest conversation with how things looked and what the expectation is from our end, and hey, what's the expectation from your end? And, um, and we just, you know, left out of there. Honestly, Ryan, it was pretty easy. There wasn't, you know, like a lot of people would probably think they put demands and stuff like that. No demands, nothing. Um, just a lot of talk and being treated like everybody else and just wants an opportunity to play and help. And, and that was basically it. And, you know, they referenced his time early on in Sierra Canyon. It's like, hey, he had to earn what he got. He didn't start early on in his career. He helped out. He got on the floor, knew what it would take, was around older guys who could score. And he just, you know, figured out a way to get on the floor and get better. And, um, and that's all we talked about, too. It was like, hey, we're recruiting you to play, to help. Um, what you get out of that is going to be on you. And they understood that. They got that. That was It was honestly a pretty simple conversation. They just We talked about the details of our team. We both laid out expectations. And that was basically it. I know people probably want to hear like this more prolonged, detailed story about, hey, you know, <laughs> was this asked for? It, it really wasn't mine. It was, it was honestly a pretty simple conversation, a pretty easy-to-have conversation. There weren't a lot of people involved. And, um, and that was probably the most normal part of it. Like, you know, they, you know, We've, we've dealt with other families who are, you know, really tough to deal with, um, and they had none of that. It was really easy to talk to them, really easy to, to lay it out there. They were really receptive and understanding of everything. And it was pretty easy for it to come into place, to be honest with you. Good stuff. Did you all leave that meeting and, and know that, okay, he's he's on board, or was there some uh, suspense for the next couple of weeks? I think there was some suspense, but, I, you know, I think we felt pretty good about it, too. Like, hey, it just made sense. You know, I think it made sense for them. I mean, if you get into all the other stuff, like Nike, and it's local. It just it made sense on a lot of levels. Separate the profile and the, the massive social media following and the fact that he is LeBron James' son. What is the scouting report on Bronny at this point, and what is he showing you guys through these early workouts? Um, you know, humility, I don't want to say, like, there's a humility about him. I think I'm placing that. I think other people place that on him, right? But he just shows up trying to work. Like, there's not, no extra to him either. He doesn't show up wanting a lot of attention. He, he just shows up every day on time, ready to work. In our workouts, you know, where a lot of freshmen can come in and they're used to doing certain things with their high school team, right? Scoring, um, more individual moves, more ball handling, certain things like that. Bronny has just come in, honestly, and played hard, defended, been coachable and make shots when he's open. He hasn't really done anything outside of his skill set or tried to do things that he's probably not great at right now, which is a skill in and of itself. And as you're trying to get on the floor specifically when you're young, that's usually what it takes. You know, is how do you compliment certain guys? And like if you're out there on the floor with Boogie Ellis and Boogie Ellis is getting a lot of attention, now you gotta space the floor, right? And uh or now you gotta really guard and get on the floor. And so he's he's you know, showing the tendency to do those things. He can guard. He can guard within a team concept. He's athletic. 
he can make a shot. And uh, he's done, you know, he's he's been really good. He's done things that he's good at and not tried to do the things that maybe he's not so good at now that a lot of young kids can fall in that trap to. So he's been great. Uh, we've been super happy with him. I think all his teammates really like him. Uh, I know all his teammates really like him. He's fitting like a glove. And, you know, we're happy to have him as well. Do you have to factor in the attention that he's going to bring to the program as a part of the evaluation when you're recruiting a guy like him? It can be very positive. It can also be a, an extra spotlight for everybody involved. Is that part of the equation that you have to consider? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I could come in here and tell you no, but then everyone would be like, he's lying, right? Um, everyone had really good things to say about him, right? Seriously. And, uh, look, we, we – you know, wanted to get our guys involved with this as well, right? Um, I think with him, there's a lot of rumors for whatever reason. People want to guess about what he's doing. Um, and so we wanted our guys to feel good about this as well. Look, all of them, you know, a lot of them knew him. All of them spoke highly of him. Um, the people we talked to spoke highly of him. No one ever talked about him being tough to coach. No one ever talked about his dad getting involved. Um, and so everything checked out, you know, just like we would do with any other kid. We did our homework on them because – you know, Ryan, the one thing I'll say is going back to four years, when we had our one bad year in the mix of all this, we had talent, but we missed on the type of kids we want in our program. And when we came out of that, one of the things Coach Infield and I talked about, like, look, it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you're not one of our type of guys, we're just not bringing you in. And we didn't have to bring in Brian. We didn't have to recruit Brian. And Brian didn't have to come to us. Yeah. But he checked out, you know, from a character standpoint and from his family standpoint and all the people who've interacted with him, man, everything checked out. We did a deep dive into it just like we do all our kids because we want to make sure we're bringing the right people in our program as well. He checked out at every corner. And uh, so far in the, in the last couple of weeks we've had him, there's been nothing to think otherwise. Uh, and he's been great. So we have, honestly, we're not worried about it at all. I know there's a lot of people who think, man, hey, we got to do this. We got to do that. I'm telling you in full confidence, we're comfortable with who he's been, what we've heard about him, and how we can coach him moving forward. No doubt. It's part of the excitement for everyone else to see what you guys are seeing right now. Just to round out the freshman class you have coming in, you get two big forwards and Aaronson Page, also from Marietta, Georgia, with Isaiah Collier, and then Brandon Gardner comes in really late in the process from Brooklyn. Let me ask you about Brandon and, and how that came together, and was that just kind of a nice bonus when you saw that he was still out there and that he interested in USC? Yeah, we wanted to get one more player. Um, you know, we had 11 guys before we signed him, which we were comfortable with. But, you know, like if someone is hurt, you know, you're an injury or two injuries away from not being able to practice, right, if you have 11 guys. So, which we had this past season, I think we had 11 scholarship guys, and we had a couple of weeks where we had dudes banked up and didn't get a good week of practice in. The next thing you know, you know, you're not having good practice, you're not having good preparation, you turn around, you're not, you're just not playing well. And so I'm not saying to say Brandon is a practice player, but we brought Brandon, we like Brandon, Brandon committed to St. John's for the coaching change, he got out of it. He was another kid we did our homework on. Um, you could see the raw ability, big time, big time athlete, NBA level athlete, um, and a ton of upside. So felt really good about him and just felt like he fit kind of what we wanted to. A couple of our guys knew him too. Like he's from Augusta, Georgia. So Isaiah knew him, Aaron knew him, a lot of people around that area who we knew knew him. And so, um, we felt comfortable bringing him in the program with who he was as a person, the type of player he was and the type of upside that he has. And then you get DJ Rodman from Washington state as, as a transfer. What does he add to the mix as a veteran guy coming in? Yeah, we were, when DJ hit the portal, we were on DJ hard. DJ was a must get for us. You know, we had played against him for four years and we loved him. And, um, you know, you talk about pieces fitting. DJ, we felt like is a piece that really fits the players that we already had and they can come in here and enhance what we want to do. DJ made shots. I want to say in league last year, he might have led the Pac 12 in three point percentage at like 42%. Um, he rebounds it. He's tough. He can guard up. He can guard down. He's physical. He knows who he is, and he just wants to win. Um, and so all the intangibles that he brought on top of the skill set he provides, you know, you talk about the attention Boogie's going to get. Well, now you have another shooter out there who can make shots. He can guard. I think him and Kobe are going to be two of the better perimeter defensive mm. guys in the league. When you start talking about, like, a combination, then you throw them with Josh Morgan and Vince, like, what well, we can be. Uh, between our three, four, and 
five um, defensively and the versatility they give us, I think we can we can be suffocating. And so we prioritized DJ really hard. We came to portal on top of that great guy, really good guy, um, and it's about the right things. And so we we prioritized him. We wanted him hard, and then when we got him, we we were elated. So we're glad he's here, and we're we're excited about the year he's going to have. You guys have had great success bringing in transfers in recent years. With the transfer portal itself, though, it, it's it's so vast. There's so many names in there. Kind of give us a sense for how you even go about keeping tabs on it, uh, filtering through it, figuring out who is worth your time to evaluate, to scout, to vet. How do you just even start with the whole thing? Yeah, it's, it's a lot, man, because um, you do get a lot of names popping in every single day. And, uh, you know, it's just – it's. Like probably like the high school recruiting or any type of recruiting, how kids can come about uh, or across your desk. Like, you know, sometimes you go out there and evaluate a kid. And you're like, man, hey, let's jump on. But maybe the kids from Virginia say, well, I don't really know a lot of people out there in Virginia. Maybe I know some, but, you know, not super close with a bunch of people. And then sometimes people call you. And, then, you know, so like I think different ends of the spectrum, like DJ enters the portal. DJ went to high school with Jay Sarah. His high school coach is a USC alum. Um you know, uh, we had seen him for a long time. He was familiar with our program. And so he hits a portal. We were on him. I think he knew of us. We knew of him. And bam, it happens really fast, right? And then guys like, you know, take it back to you, like Drew Peterson. We had no relationship with Drew, but Drew kind of fit the profile. High academic kid coming from Rice. We liked his upside. He comes in, has a great career. Um, Chavez Goodwin. Chavez was from South Carolina. I knew his AAU coach really, really well. He calls me and is like, hey, this kid, you know, he's older. He wants to do something different. Would you have interest? And bam, you look him up on Synergy. You like him. You build a relationship with him. And, you know, so this stuff happens in a bunch of different ways. Um, I think really the quickest thing you try to, at least for us, try to monitor is like, is this just, are you doing this blind and you don't know anybody around him or are there people around him? Like, does this make sense? You know, is he from the area? Um, do you know people who like, you know, we'll really be honest with you and help you get the kid. Does his profile make sense for what we're looking for? Does our playing time make sense for him? Does what we can offer him make sense? And so I think there's a lot of different factors that factor into each kid. And I think early on, as soon as they hit, you have to make a kind of quick decision like, hey, does this make sense uh, from the type of person we want to what he's looking for um, and how that fits in your program? And then you try to say, hey, because not every kid who is supportive, we're bringing Andy, right? I can't bring right. three names to him. So we have to, I think, as assistants, find the names that make the most sense, evaluate them, figure out what they're looking for and everything that entails with him coming to our program. Does this make sense? Bam, let's get Andy in front of him and let's really get this thing going. Good stuff. But it's a lot because there's, you know, like like you said, I mean, there's, especially early on, there may be 10, 20, maybe more than that, names hitting every single day. You can't call all of them and really build a genuine relationship with all of them. So as assistants, we got to do our homework really quick as to what makes sense and then and then move from there. So we, we mentioned Vince at the top of the show, Vince Iwachukwu, and, and you're right, we never saw the full Vince last year. Obviously a, a very unique story and a very inspiring story. I remember when we talked to him for the first time last season and just to hear him putting his words what he went through, his experience, what motivates him, how he puts it all in perspective. He was so impressive just talking about it. But as a basketball player, now having a full off season, what is going to surprise people about Vince this year? What, what was still there that we didn't see on the court last season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's both sides, to be honest with you, Ryan. Like, I think just him as a player, like he went through like every freshman regardless of how talented they are, go through a transition when they get here. And there's a lot being thrown at them physically because now you're playing against more bigger guys, more athletic guys, but there's also a lot being thrown at you mentally. And, um, you know, Vince missed a full summer, a full fall, and then I don't remember what game it was, but, what, 15, 16 games, yeah. maybe more than that. That's just a lot, um, a lot to, you know, to, to miss. And, um, you know, for him to come in, I think it was like his third game against Arizona State. And, uh, you know, he has 12 and five on the road against an NCAA tournament team. So you see what he, he's capable of. And so I think this year with him getting into practice and understanding what we're asking from him and the detail that goes into guarding, I think you're going to see much better defensive events. 
And then offensively, just the day-to-day reps you get from individual workouts to playing every day, like not getting that for whatever it was, eight months, seven months, I don't know how long it was, but to not do that as a freshman, you know, that's a lot to miss. And so that's really unfair. We threw him in the fire when we got him, too. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't coming in and we got to play Alabama State, no disrespect to them. He was coming in and we're playing Colorado, Utah, Arizona State. I think his his third game was against Arizona, so his fourth game was against Arizona State. Like... You know, your third game, you're going against Tubelo, Tubelis and Balo. Like, that's maybe the best front court in the league at the time. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot for him. He got thrown into the fire, which, you know, if you coach, you have an understanding for how hard that is. And uh, a lot of people probably watched and would make judgments or assertions about him, um, about what he can and can't do. But, like, it just wasn't fair. And that's why we tried to keep our expectation for him very modest throughout the course of the season. Like, man, there's going to be a lot of ups, but there's going to be some downs, too. We're proud of just where he's got to. And then let's try to make the most out of these 12 games. I know probably sometimes he got a little frustrated because maybe he felt like he could have done something better. He could have played more. But, you know, I thought what he did, considering how much time he got to prepare, I thought it was incredible, to be honest with you. So now I think this year we're a full off season and everything that he's going to get from summer to fall to preseason to two exhibition games to early games against uh, Bakersfield and uh, uh, Eastern Washington and things like that, all that stuff is, that's going to help him immensely. And I think it's just everyone's going to see a better, more well-rounded, more detailed, and just a better Vince all around. At what point were you able to put his cardiac arrest experience out of your mind as you're watching him on the court and, and not thinking about that as a, as just kind of a back of the mind fear or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I don't, I don't know the exact game, but you're a hundred percent right. Like the first couple games, man, we'd see him breathe hard and all of us would look at each other like, man, is he okay? Mm. Is he okay. You know, so we, and we were all there with him that day. It was scary, man. It's the scariest thing I ever saw on the floor. And it is definitely a moment that is seared into our mind. So as he was going through that, you know, if you would see him breathing hard, like we would all kind of stop and check and be like, hey, you know, Curry Schultz, our strength guy, is over there. He's he's watching something on an iPad that's monitoring his heart rate. And he's like, hey, man, it's kind of high. We're like, hey, get him. So we were probably too quick sometimes to get him. But, you know, we went through a traumatic event with him. He went through a traumatic event. So I don't know the day, you know, we definitely got more comfortable um, as you went on. And I think I know by the end of the year, I wasn't thinking much about it, to be honest with you. But early on, it was definitely like, hey, man, you know, if you saw him breathing even the least bit hard, we were like, oh, we need to get Vince. Uh Oh, get him, get him. And uh so, you know, I think uh, we're all in a pretty good spot with it now. But, yeah, definitely early on, it was it was something that we all had to adjust to. Even when Andy told us that he had a chance to play last season, I think everyone kind of thought, really, is, is he actually going to make it back to the court? So what he did, even if it wasn't the full events or what he wanted or what you guys recruited him to do, was, was really, truly impressive last year. So it'll be a major storyline. Overall, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but as as we're talking about everything you have offensively and defensively, everything in the front court and the back court. This has to be one of the most complete rosters you've had, you and Andy have had in your time here. Is, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, the only, you know, our Elite 18, man, no one had expectations for him early on, but we were really good. Like, we were Final Four good that year, Ryan. And COVID or not, we were, I mean, we were really good. And I think we ran into a buzzsaw with Gonzaga that year. Yeah. Um, Whereas I think if it was any, I think the two best teams in the country that year were Gonzaga and Baylor. But I think, you know, Michigan, Houston, some of the other teams that we were right there with. So I think if the bracket shakes out right, if we weren't in Gonzaga's region, I think we, and we didn't play well against them, but they were good. Um, I think we were Final Four good that year. And I think we were pretty complete and that we had an all-conference guard. And that's why I think Taj, we were talking about some of the guards. Taj goes under the radar just because he was there in a year that no one could really see him. But you know, Evan, um, Drew comes in. We were big. We were long. We had enough ball handling. We had enough shooting. We had experience. We had a special young guy. And we were really good, man. Really, really good. And I think the piece, the pieces fit really good. You had a guy in Taj who was a really good point guard, better than people realized, but could make shots and make decisions. You had Evan who was special. But then you had all these pieces in between that really fit. Like Isaiah White was, you know, you got to have those glue guys, those toughness guys. And he did that. And then when he made shots, it elevated our team, right? Same with Drew. 
Drew is a secondary ball handler. You can run offense for him. He gave you another guy in perimeter could really guard with great size. Um, and then Isaiah, like Isaiah Mobley was not a great, um, uh, scorer at that time. I think he averaged like right under 10 a game, but he could make decisions. He could rebound. He could guard. Occasionally he could, you know, he made big shots against Kansas. He was not a great shooter at that point, but he was getting better. Um, uh, but you had like all these pieces that just fit. The other team I would say was, we never got to see him, but it was the FBI year with, um, and we saw him as young guys really, but Jordan McLaughlin, Anthony Melton, yeah. you know, Elijah Stewart, Benny Boatwright, and then Chemezi. I thought all those pieces fit well. And I say that to say now with this group, that's, we do feel the same way with this incoming group as we do with some of those past groups in terms of we like our talent and talent's a big part of it, Ryan. Obviously, I mean, you have to have a certain amount of talent, but then you also have to have pieces that fit in the way they play together. And we really, more so than our talent, like the way these pieces fit because um, Isaiah's a point guard, right? He passes, he gets off it. Boogie now, I think it's going to help Boogie do what he does and be more comfortable with it, right? Really go out there and score. And look, when you're a scorer, sometimes you take tough shots or bad shots. And I think this team's going to be pretty accepting of that. Kobe can guard at a high level, but Kobe's really becoming a much better offensive player too. And I thought we saw that last year. DJ can make a shot. Um, Kobe can shoot it. He shot it well last year. DJ's a proven high-level shooter, high-level defender, rebounder. Josh, first-team all-defensive guy. Um, knows who he is, though. Doesn't take a ton of bad shots. Um, really helps you out defensively. Great uh uh, in terms of knowing who he is and doesn't take a ton of bad shots, take Vince into that. You know, Vince, I think is, we're going to see a different guy like him who I think can help elevate our ceiling depending on what level he gets to. But then you come off your, and I don't even want to say off your bench because we don't know who's going to start, but like, Kajani got much better last year. Kajani's ready to help, ready to help a really good team right now. And he can pass, he can guard. You know, you talk about Ozai. Ozai is a really good, Ozai Sell is a really good offense player who I think as he gets more comfortable, like we have really high expectations for Ozai this year. Ozai can make a shot. Ozai can make decisions. Ozai doesn't get out of control and his defense is getting better. And he's put on weight. He's gotten stronger, which should help him defensively. So you talked about Bronny. Like Bronny doesn't come out there trying to do a lot of things that maybe he shouldn't. Um, and I think he's all about winning as well. And I don't want to forget anyone. You throw AP, you throw Brandon in this mix. Like we like our group of talent, but we also like really, really like Ryan, how these pieces fit. And the personalities fit. I think we have a team that's serious about winning too, which matters. Uh, because I think there's some teams that say they want to win and then their actions don't show that. So far, I think this group's been locked into winning. Obviously, as, as we get closer to the season, there's a lot of things that are thrown at you that can change things. But hey, we've been in the fire with these guys. Uh, these guys are experienced. Uh, Boogie, Kobe, Josh. Uh, you know, we have tournament experience at this point. Um, and just really, really, really like our group a lot. As we said, palpable buzz. <laughs> palpable buzz, Ryan. Palpable buzz. <laughs> a couple last ones for you, Chris, and I really appreciate your time. And it, it could be someone we already talked about at length. It could be someone we haven't talked about yet. But is there one guy that you think is going to surprise people the most this year on the team? Um, I don't know. We've had I, – I, I, yes, there's going to be someone who surprises people more than others. You know, right now, Kobe looks poised to make a huge jump. Is that surprising? I don't know. So I think Kobe had a great year last year. You know, I think when you start looking at our front court pieces, like we feel really good about, when we talked about Vince, we feel really good about Arrington Page and Kajani Wright. So, but both of them, you know, Kajani was a McDonald's All-American and Arrington was a top 50 player. So both of those guys come in with expectations too. Now when it hits, who knows? But we feel really good about both of them. Uh, like I said, we were high on DJ. So I know I'm not answering your question, Ryan. Um, no, it's fine. But, yeah, but, you know, like, we, we feel really good about those guys. So, like, I don't know who, in my mind, I haven't thought about, man, this guy's going to surprise you other than, hey, we like these guys. And maybe they do end up being a clicker faster than what we thought with someone. Maybe it doesn't. But we just know we like them, and they're going to be really good players. How much does having the, the Europe trip, the trip to Greece and Croatia, really help a year like this when you have so many young pieces, so many new pieces to get that extra time in the summer? Yeah, it helps a lot. Obviously, the rule when these uh, foreign tours first started, the rules changed. Like you, you didn't have as much time with your guys. So we still get, like, you can have four hours with them, and, and then you throw on the foreign tour, um, and now you get more hours. So I think you get a little more time with them. Um, every time, this is our third foreign tour since we've been here. Every other one, we've made the tournament the following year. 
So obviously I think it's good for that. The bonding you get with that, the early practices you can get ahead in terms of, um, you know, teaching and stuff like that. So I think, and, and then you get three good games. We tried to get a pretty good games while we're out there. And so you actually get some games under your belt too, which I think expedites some things as you get into the fall. Uh, but I think the bonding thing, I think introducing our plays and some of our offense and our defense and being able to show them the film earlier on of themselves will help expedite things. Um, you know, but one of the things I say also, though, Ryan, I think the college preseason is long for two games, to be honest with you. So while it does give us a jump, you know, we're going to give those guys some time off and then restart again in the fall as we get going. Sure. And, uh, it's going to be a long season, hopefully, for us. So we're going to need these guys, their minds, in uh, February or March. And, uh, you know, I think it is good that we're going to get an early start. But I think, you know, we'll it will give those guys some time under their belt. But hopefully what it is is, is kind of, you know, just an experience that they normally wouldn't get. And then it really helps us get into the fall and really get to the nuts and bolts of things and really hit the ground running as we get to that point. Well, I want to end kind of where I started early on, just talking about where you guys have gotten this to with the, the national recruiting profile you have now and and how that has come so far from those first years. If you can give our listeners an example or, or perspective on what it would have been like trying to pursue Isaiah Collier those first two years and how different and easier it is to sell USC basketball now. Hey, Isaiah, uh, <laughs> you know, I coach at USC. Uh, we won 12 games last year, but we think you can be really good here. And, uh, you know, we think we can be good as a team. Do you want to come? And, uh, yeah, coach, I do. And then I'll never hear from him again. Um, <laughs> You know, like it's, 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 there's a gradual build to it. And to be honest with you, Ryan, what we're trying to get to, like, I've looked into Baylor. I've looked into, like, Baylor, it took Scott Drew, I want to say, like, 16 years before maybe he got, like, you know, there's, there's steps to doing this. And, um, you know, it took us, like, getting the local talent. This thing was built on local talent. And we got to continue to keep the local talent here, the right local ones, right? But, like, the the brand of USC when we got here for whatever reason USC had always had a good team here and there but never really anything sustained and when we got here the Jordan McLaughlin's Elijah Stewart's the Benny Boatwright's Shemezi Metu's um you know Julian was from Vegas so he's a West Coast guy too and um you know you come in in year three you make the tournament it's like okay wow these guys you know are pretty good and then the next year you bring in D'Anthony and um you know, you're basically that fourth season when we won 26, um, you know, done with Jordan, DeAnthony, Elijah, Benny, Chemezi, really all SoCal guys, right? So now we've been to back-to-back tournaments, and now I think your brand starts to, okay, get out there a little bit. And then, um, you know, people are starting to take notice of what you do, and you become a little cooler, you know, in your hometown and stuff like that. And that's why I say, like, after that year, we were coming back, I think it was year four, five where the fbi thing hit and you know like the anthony ends up being out for the whole year benny gets hurt and so now we're playing in the pac-12 championship you know down two of the guys that we expected to be starters and um still 124 so now we're talking about 24 in a bad season but we had like this cloud hanging over us and the following year so i think that's year six we end up winning 16 or 17. I don't remember what it is. And then we take a lot of pride in that we bounce back the following year. And because you've had now success with Chemezi, you've had success with Jordan McLaughlin, you can get on Yeko Kongu, right? Um, Max Agonpolo was like a top 60 kid coming out. So you can get some of those guys. Daniel Utomi was a starter on that team. Elijah Weaver was our sixth man on that team. We were all from different areas of the country. Like, we got you told me out of the transfer portal, you told me I was like 18 points a game. Like, that's a hard guy to get. You know what I mean? Like, from Texas, you did it at Akron and did it at a, a pretty good level. And so we had to beat out some really good schools to get him. And Elijah was a top 50, 60 guy, you know, out of Florida. And um, so now that team ends up winning 22. You get Jonah. You know, Jonah Matthews is, is from local. Um, you win 22. We don't make the tournament that year. The following year, you get. Uh, Evans back and uh, Onyek has gone first round. He's been he went number six, and now you've got Chemezi who's been in the NBA, who was a draft pick. D'Anthony's been a draft pick. Jordan's playing in the NBA, and Onyek has gone six. Uh, Kevin, we came off that year, we won 16. Kevin, you know, Kevin goes uh, 30th pick overall. I think he's going in the first round. Yep. So now we've produced NBA guys. You end up getting Evan. Um, Evan goes three. You made an elite eight. 
Um, so now people are really looking at you different when you've made an elite A. You've now started to put five or six guys in the NBA. You know, the following year, <clears throat> you know, we're older. Um, we win. You know, that was the year we get all the way to fifth in the country. You know, so people start to see that. Um, we've done it with a guy from our starting lineup that year, which is best good one from South Carolina. Isaiah, local kid from L.A. or from uh, the IE. Um, Max Polo started on and off. He was from SoCal. Um, you know, you get Boogie now for that year. Ethan, um, Drew is from, you know, he's a transfer portal kid from Illinois. So now you've got some nationality or you've got some, uh, some kids from other parts of the country who have come in. But, you know, I think nationally you start to see this, hey, people are starting to notice what you've done. We get all the way to fifth in the country. We went 26 again. And I think people now see nationally what has been done and we've done it in so many different forms. Like, you know, that's why I say, I don't think right now, even though we made an elite eight, if you would ask Andy, like, what are you most proud of? I don't think it's that team or, you know, break time to school record twice. I think it's been what's been sustained and how we've done it through, you know, I don't say this, the FBI investigation as a badge of honor, but like, that was really hard to recruit through. That was really hard to get through. And sure. we came out on the other end on top. The following year, you know, we've had, we go up, we go into the lead eight team. So now we won 22 and nine. I think we just returned Isaiah, uh, Ethan and Max, maybe, and Noah Bowman. So we returned four guys and we recruit all these guys from the portal. We hit on all of them, uh, pair them with Evan. And next thing you know, we make them, we make the elite eight, right? And so we had to do it off that. The following year, we come back, we went 26. Then, hey, we go through a little more flux. Like, you know, uh, you lose your best at graduation. You lose Isaiah early to the pros. You lose uh, 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 Ethan, Max. You lose all these guys, and then you still come back. And, hey, Vince goes down with his injury, and now you still went 22, and you're making the tournament. So we sustained it. We sustained it through guys leaving early. We didn't expect Onyeka to leave early. We didn't know that Onyeka was going to go six. So you lose him early. You lose Evan early. Like, this place has never been built to have three one-and-dones and continue the success rolling, right? You lose Chemezi as a three-and-done. We didn't know Chemezi was going to be a three-and-done guy. You keep winning after he leaves. Um, you know, DeAnthony only played one year for us. The second year, he ended up being suspended. He leaves. He goes to the NBA. Kept the winning going. And so we've been able to sustain success through all of this. And I think that's where we take a great source of pride in and now when you go and recruit people nationally know what you've done they know the guys who have been um, in your program to be honest with you if we hadn't win you're not getting isaiah collier if you hadn't had guys who make the nba before you're not getting isaiah collier yep. Bronny's not coming if you haven't had guys who've done well as big guys like you're not getting Arrington from atlanta now i know his point guard came but they all came together and we've had a successful big guys and he can see himself you know, in that rotation, because Johnny's a McDonald's All-American, because Johnny decides to come because you've had success with those guys. And so that's how the next band of guys continue to come because of the success that you've had with guys earlier. Um, they start to see it. It's easier to picture. You can go in there. You can sell what you've done with guys. I think that it's easier for them to see. You've had success. Every kid wants to come and be part of a successful program, a program that wins a lot of games. We've done that. And so we can get in with the best guys. Um, in the country because of everything that's been sustained earlier on. I think that's the real, when you hire someone, you don't want to hire them for a team. And I think that's the thing that Andy's got the most to be proud of. They didn't hire him. Pat hired him. It wasn't so like, Hey, you can have one elite team. It's like, we're trying to build a real program and that's what we've done. We're going into year 11. And honestly, there's no signs of us slowing down. And I know a lot of people say, man, the big 10, they're asking, Hey, you get to do things differently. Why we've been recruiting well anyways. <laughs> So why do we need to do things? Yeah, I mean, it's all about getting talent, right? Talent acquisition and, and getting those guys better, developing them and winning games. Things are going to be different in terms of who we play, but you still got to go get talent. All the kids we've taken, guess what? The Big Ten would want Eric DePage. The Big Ten did want Eric DePage, right? The Big Ten did want Isaiah Collier, um, you know, and so on and so forth. So, like, they all want some of the kids we have. So why do we have to do anything different? And I, I don't think there's any signs of this program slowing down. It's in a good spot. And to be honest with you, Ryan, one of the things, like, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but it's a, it's a source of pride for me as well. It's like, you know, Andy had a vision of making a final four. Like, why can't we do that here? And I know a lot of people thought we were crazy, but like, you just don't get to a final four at USC and you're one or you're two. Like there's steps, like I told you, and Baylor went through the same thing. Like there's steps that you have to do to get there. And I think we're along those steps, man. We're working like crazy to try to get this program to that, that next step get to a final four and make everyone proud of the basketball program here at USC. 
um, and just proud of what we build and stuff like that. But we're, we're, we have that vision. We're working like, you know, like crazy to try to get there, Ryan. And honestly, why can't we do it? Man, that's good stuff. I should end right there because you're not going to top that. But I did have one last question for you I got to ask. And it, it, it comes with the attention that, that you are getting for all this recruiting success. And I have to imagine that people are looking at Andy's staff and looking at you and at what you're doing. You have to have had feelers over the years or, or other schools poking around. What is your end game? What is your goal in, in your career? Yeah, I want to be a head coach. Um, it's not really a secret. Um, I turned down a, a opportunity this past summer. You know, I just didn't feel like it was the right fit for me personally. I, you know, it's tough, man, because I got it so good here, Ryan. Um, you know, I'm still motivated to come to work every day. Andy treats me great. I have a ton of autonomy here. I work like a head coach. Um, Andy gives me a ton of freedom, and the rest of our staff a ton of freedom. To be honest with you, that's why you hire good people, I think. You know, so he allows me to do so much. I feel like I'm still growing. Like, he, you know, I just said about Andy's vision. I have the same vision. We have an aligned vision. Our whole staff does, but right. You know, we put in all this time, and, like, you feel like everything's right here. This was a hard team for me to, to walk away from. I you bet. know what I mean? Because I, I feel that great about it and what we can do and who we had in our program and stuff like that. And I've had a chance to be an assistant coach, you know, at other places. Honestly, you know, it just doesn't make sense for me to leave to be an assistant coach. I just got it too good. My family's happy here. I'm happy. So that just doesn't make sense. So I want to be a head coach, but it's got to be the right time, right place, and right situation. And in the meantime, I'm happy with where I'm at. And um, I know my opportunity will come when it's when it's time. But there's, you know, what I just said I meant, Ryan, there's still work to be done here. And, you know, we're motivated every day to get this thing to this next step. Hopefully it's this year. But we're motivated to get this thing to the highest level of college basketball. And that's still what drives me. And it doesn't make sense for me to go a lot of different places when I feel like I can accomplish everything I want to accomplish right here at SC. When you have that head coaching offer, though, to consider how long do you take with that and and, and how hard is it to, to say this will come again? Yeah, this this last one, it was hard, man, because I'd always looked forward to that day. And I actually never thought I would turn one down. But like I said, this one was tough for me. It was an area of the country that I wasn't like super familiar with either. I felt really good about our team. And so, you know, it was I was conflicted um, for probably about a week or so, five days. And, you know, even after it, I was a little bit of second guessing, which I think is natural. But I'm in a good spot and I'm in the moment. And, uh, you know, they're hard to come by. And so you got to weigh that, right? Like what is, you know, they're, they are really hard and it's a really competitive industry. And being a head coach is very competitive, especially when you don't have head coaching experience because that's what's, you know, kind of used against me sometimes. But um, I'm in a good place that I know, we're in a good place. The program's in a really good spot. The health of the program's at an all-time high. And, um, I, you know, I have faith. You know, the opportunity's going to come. Um, I think our work has spoke for itself. I do think, like you said, people have noticed that. And uh, the time will come where I think it's going to make sense for myself and my family. And where it's at is going to align with where we want to be at. And, and it'll happen. So I have the faith for that. But like I said, I, and I believe it, man, I'm in a really good spot. I work for a great guy. I love our staff. They're great to be around. We have fun. I'm motivated every day. Look, I couldn't turn down a head coaching job to come to a spot where I wasn't happy. So I think it also speaks to the atmosphere here and, you know, what we have going on here because I truly am happy. And what's the price tag of that? You know what I mean? I, I don't think you can put a price on that. So 100%. And if, if USC fans weren't excited about this basketball team before, if they listen to this podcast, they're definitely going to be. Chris, thank you so much for your time. That was a phenomenal conversation yep i appreciate it man we uh, you know i'm biased i work here but we're going on year 11 man we've never been as excited we've been really excited about other teams but this team you know we're really high on and i think it's going to be a fun year i think you know one of the things i'm most happy for our guys and for the fans who have been here since i think we're going to start to get the attention like Dan's going to be full this year that's going to be fun and that's going to be exciting and uh, all the people who have been with us, man, I think this is a good time. Like, we appreciate your support and being here. And hopefully this is the culmination of that for all you guys to kind of, hey, this is the pinnacle of uh, what we've been trying to do. You guys have been supportive. There's been a lot of people like yourself, Ryan, who have been supportive from day one, kind of see the program um, where it's at. You know, I know we take a lot of pride in knowing that hopefully this is making them happy and they have a sense of pride for everything that they supported us for because – you know, there were some dark days early on, and it's easy to turn your back. And people have been there from day one, man. We're, you know, 
we appreciate them. We appreciate you guys. And we're just excited for what's to come. And I think this year is going to be special. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. And that's the podcast. Look forward to seeing all the feedback that we get to this one. I really thought Chris Capco delivered even beyond my own expectations for that show. And enjoy that conversation a great deal. Hope you did as well. This time next week, we'll be in Las Vegas for Pac-12 Media Day. We'll have the full Trojansports.com team out there. And that is really the tipping point to just a deluge of coverage as we hype up a USC football season that has as much anticipation, intrigue, potential as any in quite a long time. Uh, As long as I've been on the beat, I'm going to my sixth season. So this is by far my most anticipated USC football season. And that's where the focus will go after this. But I hope you enjoyed a little basketball talk in July. And we thank you so much for listening to the show and helping to grow it. And I hope those numbers keep going up this season. And it will just allow us to do more and more and more. Thank you. And we'll be back next week.